Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. And we've got plenty of fantastic interviews to get to for this week's show. Thank you for tuning in. Very excited for you to hear all of the interviews from this past week. You can find them at tsn.ca slash UFC if you'd like to see the video component. But right here, right now, we will have the audio version of them for you like we do week in and week out. And we're going to start off with the bantamweight champion of the world in the women's bantamweight division, Juliana Pena, who is fresh off of taping the new season of The Ultimate Fighter alongside the Lioness, the best female mixed martial artist of all time, Amanda Nunes. Should be an exciting season. She talked a little bit about that, as well as what champ life has been like for her since she pulled off the upset against Amanda Nunes, and perhaps maybe when we can expect to see that rematch. That's coming up first, and then we'll hear from the two main event combatants of this week's UFC Fight Night card. We've got Rob Font and Cheeto Vera joining the show. And then we've got one of my favorite guys to speak with in the sport. In fact, two of my favorite people to speak with in the sport back-to-back, Gerald Mearshart and Tristan Connolly. Pleasure to speak with both of them, and it's a pleasure to bring the show to you week in and week out. If you have a chance to review the show, give us a five-star review, four-star review, if that's the uh, most stars you can give, whatever the most stars you can give, that's, that's the review I want, and perhaps some kind words about the show. Would always appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start with our interview with Juliana Pena, followed by Rob Font, Cheeto Vera, Gerald Mearshart, and Tristan Connolly right here on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. It's the 30th iteration of the Ultimate Fighter and a former Ultimate Fighter winner. And now bantamweight champion of the world, Juliana Pena, is one of the coaches. What's it like being on the other side of the ball for Tough this season? Uh, it's interesting, you know. It's uh, really fun to, to be back. There's a lot of nostalgia going on. Um, aside from, you know, being right back at home, I'm just excited to, to get my team introduced into the world and, and to pick teams and to let you guys in a little bit on, on their journeys and, and their lives. What are the weight classes that are going to be featured uh, for this particular season? The weight classes will be heavyweight men and 125-pound women. That's a flyweight division for the women. So what was the dynamic there between those two very, very different weight classes? Well, that's the thing. It's like I can't really teach the same thing to a flyweight girl as I can to a heavyweight man. And and so it, th- that was a challenge in and of itself. And I think that that's why they saved it for the 30th season, because it was going to be, you know, a little kink in the wrench or a little wrench. Or it was just going to be a little, you know, surprise for, for the viewers, I think, to, to have such a contrast of weight classes, heavyweight men, flyweight women. You didn't want to get Daniel Spitz on the phone, bring him back into the fold? <laughs> he he uh, he had his chance, and obviously he can come back at any time he wants. <laughs> well, it uh, must have been a very fun experience. Obviously, we've seen coaches in the past get very chirpy, but Amanda Nunes is kind of shy and reserved. Are we going to see the same kind of hostilities on the season? Um, you're going to have to tune in and find out. You're going to have to have to watch the show with the rest of the world. Well, that's, I think, what everybody's hoping for. And if there is even the slightest bit of, of hostility, I'm sure we're going to see it in some sort of trailer uh, before the show ends. They, they, they like to use those clips. 
Yeah, I saw a little bit in the trailer. It got a little heated there. That was pretty funny. Uh, I got a kick out of that. But yes, um, you know, there's always some sort of tension and some sort of surprise or some sort of thing that happens on The Ultimate Fighter. So you definitely can expect some of that. I know Amanda travels everywhere with her, uh, her partner and her, I guess her wife and her daughter. Uh, and you, your daughter travels with you as, a lot as well. Were, were you allowed to bring family with for this or was it just you and Amanda kind of isolated uh, in your own places for The Ultimate Fighter? So we could bring our families. I brought my daughter and uh, she was with me uh, the entire time, but my mom was able to, to help and watch me or watch my daughter and babysit. And, and so I had a lot of help with my mom there. But yes, Issa's on scene. You guys are going to see her on the show and, and she does great. That must be pretty cool because she'll always have that, right? Like looking back, of course, she'll always have a mother who was a champion of the UFC, but getting to be on TV at a young age, that's probably going to be a lot of fun for her. I think so. I mean, I don't know any other four-year-olds that are running around with a bunch of UFC fighters like that, but I think she's, I, I can't, I, it was a gift to be able to give that to her, and I can't wait for her to get a little bit older and understand, you know, kind of the circumstances of what I was doing back then in Vegas when we lived in this gigantic mansion. <laughs> now, of course, becoming a champion is a goal for every single fighter. Has it lived up to expectations? You know, I know a lot of fighters say they get the belt, they look in the mirror the next morning, and nothing really feels like it's changed. How has your life changed? Um, you know, yes, that is just a label. Uh, being a champion is just a label, but being a champion means doing champion stuff every single day. So I wake up still with that contender mindset and with that target on my back and the, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about that. And so I just wake up every day and I go and I train and I've just been putting in work. I haven't slowed down and I haven't um, and I'm obviously not content with the fact that I won the belt. You know, you're not a champion truly until you go out there and you defend it. And so my goal is to just work as hard as I can to maintain the belt. And, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm certain you probably have about 20 times the media obligations that you did prior to becoming a champion. How have you enjoyed that, embraced that? I know Amanda's very shy. She doesn't like to do a lot of media, but uh, it seems like, at least from a media standpoint, it's great to have somebody as outgoing as yourself as the champion. Well, you know, there is a side to this that that matters. You know, I need people to watch my fight. I don't need them. I want them. I want people to be invested in my success. I want them to be invested either the, the success or the loss. I want them to be invested. You know, I want them to watch my fight. And if Amanda's going to be shy, then obviously I'll have to, to take over for that uh, portion. But I, I'm going to do everything that I can. I'm going to get in front of as many people as I can. I just want to let the world know that I am the new champ. And I just would love nothing more than for them to come and follow me along on my journey see how i do it as a single mother and um you know the more people that i can have rallying behind me and supporting me the better so i'm gonna get in front of as many cameras as i can it seems like in the lead up to the fight with amanda you really embraced what i guess they call in sports bulletin board material where people are doubting you people are saying you know there's no way she's gonna win they, they put the odds at whatever nine to one it seems like you really took that and ran with it and used it as fuel why do you think you were able to do that and render that uh, as, as something that was a helpful tool for you rather than a lot of the other people that Amanda had previously faced? You know, the odds are something that I don't get myself too concerned with. I don't wrap myself in, in the odds and, and looking at that kind of stuff. If I hear about it, I, I kind of dismiss it because 
none of that really matters. At the end of the day, we're going to get locked in a steel cage and we're going to get in a fist fight and one of us is going to get our hand raised and it's going to come down to guts and who wants it more. And at the end of the day, I can confidently say when I was going into that fight with Amanda and when I go into the next fight with her, I know how much work I've been doing. I know how hard I've been grinding and I know how bad that I want it. And I don't want it because the odds say that I'm 11 to 1. I don't want it because I'm just, you know... Um, this ego power hungry person I want it because I truly believe it I know I'm a champion I know I am the champion and I know that I'm going to retain my belt and, and still be the champion because of how hard I work now the odds may not matter to you but to those that train with you at VFS to your family friends I'm sure they got in on the odds a little bit have people called you since that fight and told you about the, their bounty that they were able to score off of you getting a win as such a big underdog I think my mom told me that between like the family members that we had that they pulled in over like 50 racks on me just because they are all betting for me. It was funny. There were so many people that <clears throat> told me later on that they lost so much money on me. But my true family, my core, the people that really know me and know how hard I work, they all won. And uh, they, they showed me all their slips and they, they've showed me to prove to me how much they believed in me. And that was such a great feeling to know that, you know, my core people absolutely believe in me with their whole hearts. And so it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good feeling. Well, yeah, it must have been a good feeling for you, for them, for everybody. Uh, you're from Spokane, Washington. You live in Chicago. What's the better pizza, Spokane pizza or Chicago pizza? <laughs> it's not even close. That's like comparing apples and garlic. It's Chicago all the way. <laughs> the Spokane pizza thing has become sort of a viral video. I'm guessing you saw this and uh, obviously it was made up, I guess, by this individual. No, I don't even know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, well, you got to look up, mean? when we're done, you got to look up Spokane Pizza. This guy, I guess he was a, a, a satirist. He, he was pretending to be a chef, and he's talking about making Spokane Pizza. And it, it, it was this viral video. It was this video that they put, like, salmon and, like, strawberries and all this weird stuff in pizza. And he had somehow convinced people that this is something that people from Spokane ate. <laughs> Well, they're pretty outdoorsy there, and, and salmon is is a popular item for sure. But I've never had salmon and strawberries on a pizza. Although, I mean, I guess I don't think that would be that weird of a combination, but it's just pineapple for me. That's, I mean, I like pineapple on my pizza. That's as far as I'll go with the fruit on my pizza. Oh, actually, a pear on a pizza is really good too. But, I mean, pizza's pizza. I, I like pizza. I think everybody likes pizza. Absolutely. And if you're in Chicago, probably no better place. I know Bilal Muhammad, who got a win recently. He's a he's a thin crust guy, even though he lives in Chicago. Are you a thick crust or thin crust? Uh, it depends. So I'll be I'll be a deep dish if I only get it from Pequods. If it's not from Pequods, then I definitely like the thin crust. Absolutely. Yeah, when I was in Chicago covering the UFC event, the Schmo, who was a Chicago native, was all about Pequods. He kept trying to get but it's like 40 minutes out of the city. So I wasn't able to go and get it. Yeah, it's no, it's in the city. And it's um. So good. Uh, I went there the other day and they hooked it up. It is the the best deep dish that you could get, honestly. But it's it you got to make sure that you you know take some time out of your day because it takes like an hour for it to bake. So, what's the atmosphere been like in the gym at VFS? Because so many people that are having a lot of success right now. I mentioned Bilal, you know, Ignacio Bahamondes is coming up. It seems like everybody is is really taking their game to another level right now at, at Valley uh, Valley Fighting Systems. Yep, um, and, and Carlos Hernandez finally made his uh, pro debut in the UFC after fighting on Dana White's Contender Series. We got um, Alejandro Flores, who's fighting for PFL uh, this weekend. Um, I know 
uh, Felice Herrig has her fight coming up. Uh, come, we're, we're on a tear. Uh, Carolina Gallardo, she also has a fight for Combate coming up. All of my guys are fighting this weekend for Combate. You know, we're just a, a, a close group of fighters who grind every single day. Uh, there's no magic uh, pill. There's no secret for success. It's just hard work. And we get up every morning and we train and then we get there at nighttime and we train and we just grind. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew that when I won that it was going to elevate everybody in the gym. And I said, we're not losing this year. We're going to go on a tear and everyone's just going to kill it. I know it. And so um, I'm, I'm very happy for the success of the gym and, and everyone's been doing incredible. And uh, I love our little family there. Well, we're seeing the fruits of your labor come into come into uh, into play right now, and of course, yourself, Amanda Nunes. When is this fight going to happen? Uh, is it, are we looking at the summer? Have they given you any sort of dates as of yet? I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't have a date set, um, but I will be ready to go whenever whenever they give me a call and whenever they set the date. I absolutely will be ready, hundred and ten percent. Well, the one date we are looking at is May 3rd is the premiere of The Ultimate Fighter 30. It's on TSN here in Canada. Thank you so much for your time. Always appreciate it and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for the time. I hope you have an amazing day. Well, Rob Font is taking a break from his jacuzzi to join me here to talk about his third consecutive main event. Is that right? Third in a row against uh, Chito Vera? This is a, a pretty uh, good time to be Rob Font. Seems like they're giving you all the big spotlights. Hell yeah, man. I'm, you know, I'm going to take the opportunity as much as possible. You know, uh, three in a row. Uh, I think, you know, they, they trust that I'm going to put on a show. I'm, I'm going to bring the fight to, to whoever they put in front of me. And, um, you know, yeah, I definitely believe I'm main event worthy. So, uh be back to back. Well, it's certainly hard to, do, to uh, dispute that point at this uh, point in time. You've got uh, Cheeto Vera ahead of you. Very, very tough opponent. Guy's got a little bit of crazy to him, which I like. I, I think that he li- he's going to like you, though, because you don't talk trash. He doesn't like people to talk trash because he feels like they don't back it up when he confronts them. But that's not, that's not really your game. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, man, that's not me. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a quiet guy, you know, in general. You know, I'm not really out there talking trash. You'll see come fight night, what's up. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, some guys uh, love that drama. Some guys... You know, thrive off it. Some guys don't. You know, I'm just kind of like I'm more, I'm more of a cool, calm, collective. Just, just go out there and fuck each other up if we have some. Yeah, you know, I listened to a bunch of your interviews in preparation for this one, and you're just so calm all the time. I like, where does this killer instinct come from? Ah, uh, man, I, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I really do believe. You know, like I, I try to keep my emotional in check the whole time until I have to explode and and take somebody out. You know, I don't like to, I don't like to be up and down, up and down, and up and down. I just kind of like to be real calm. Come fight night, pick it up a little bit, see the finish, and really pick it up, and then go for the kill. But um, you know, yeah, I, I try not to put too much emotion into this and just put more of a, you know, put put more of what I want to do into into uh, into my yeah, obviously attitude and, and, and swag and just go out there and have fun. Does that translate in real life? Like, is there a time where you know somebody cuts you off and then suddenly the the the, the calm goes away and you you get into a, a bit of a freakout? Not too much, honestly. Like, I, my girl actually makes fun of me because like, I'll like I'll let people cut me in line. I'll kind of like, like if, you know, I'm not too. I'm not in a rush to get to the light first. You know, I'm not that guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, if, if you wanted that bad, you can have it. You know, um, yeah, you gotta you gotta really like like push the limit for me to really really kind of pop off on you. These people in Boston. I mean, I don't know if you train mostly <laughs> in Boston, but they're mouthy. I mean, is that fair to say? People from Boston yeah. are a bit mouthy. A hundred percent. People people from Boston are definitely like. 
I would say rude or, or if they're having a bad day, you're definitely going to hear it. So, <laughs> But that doesn't, that doesn't throw you? There's nothing that, 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 that kind of thing doesn't bother you? I find it interesting. I really do find it interesting. I find I like I kind of like and enjoy seeing people kind of get out of their their pocket, I guess you say, and, and act the fool for the smallest dumbest shit. But it's it's, it's kind of hilarious. <clears throat> I think that's probably what makes you a good fighter is that you can kind of compartmentalize things, and then when you get out there, you can you can let it go. But I also heard you you were on with uh, John Hyun Ko, uh, who is doing a training camp, and he asked you for some advice, and you basically said like, let your breathing. Uh, take over kind of when you're in there because it'll help calm you. You feel like yeah. that's your best state of mind for when you're doing this? Yeah, you know, um, if, if you're calm, you, you're, if you can control your breathing and not really obviously uh, let your breathing kind of control you, like you can slow things down when they get hectic or, or when you're about to make that finish. I, I do believe you're going to see her a lot clearer. Um, your eyes are a lot um, open, I would say, and, 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 and um, you know, like, you know, like, I, I believe like, things come out a lot smoother when you when you're in control of your breath. So do you do a lot of breathing exercises in your downtime? Basic, some basic, uh, you know, some basic breathing exercises we do at the conditioning gym and then um, recovery. And uh, just, it's a couple like exercises we do right before we walk out and then right as I'm in the cage, I do a couple of little, uh, little, little, little breathing exercises and then get out there and just relax, feel, feel what I'm trying to do, look, see it with my eyes and just relax, breathe and have fun with it. Did you do meditation, sensory deprivation, that kind of stuff too? I would, I would say more visualization than meditation. I, I guess it's similar. Um, I try to meditate sometimes. I just get lost. But I, I think I, I could sit there for like a good two or three minutes and visualize me landing certain shots and, and um, you know, or getting out of certain positions or, 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 or just visualizing all around tough fight. That's going to go five rounds and just be ready for that. So I would say more visualization than meditation. And um, But I'm trying. I'm trying to meditate if I here and there. So, so you get uh, distracted, basically, is what you're saying when you're trying to meditate? Yeah, yeah I get a whole bunch of thoughts running through my head before you know what I'm thinking about, you know, what I'm trying to eat the next day or, or what, how, how could it better in that last round or whatever, and, and I, I just completely forgot what I was supposed to be paying attention to. So I find it a little easier to kind of, like, see what I want to do instead of, like, really, like, like, really just calm my mind and just think of nothing, and it's kind of hard for me. Have you tried big sky meditation? Not yet. I, 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 I guess I got to do a little more research and try a little harder. I guess I only did it a handful of times, maybe five or six times, and really sat down and really tried to do it. But I definitely, I don't see nothing wrong with it. I do believe it helps. Um, you just got to be, you got to have that right, I guess, atmosphere or, or, uh, or you know, certain time of the day where I'm not all riled up, I guess. I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out eventually. Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you what big sky meditation is, if you'll indulge me for a second. So when you're Let's doing go. your breathing, you picture like a big blue sky, right? And, and it's almost like a video game in your mind. So if something comes into the sky, like, you know, a thought that, that takes you away from thinking about your breathing, you, you just let the, the cloud sail away. You turn, you turn that thought into a cloud, just watch it sail out of the blue sky. And your, your goal is almost like a video game in your mind where you just want to keep the sky blue. All right, well, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to try to do it this week. Big slime. I'm going I'm to look it up. Google it. Check, check it out. Uh, if anything, let's, come, let's get back on here and have, have a couple of uh, sessions. <laughs> well, I, I'm not like a psychiatrist. You've got to do it on your own. But, hey, I mean, if you want to thank me after the fight, if Big Sky works for you and you're all calm beforehand, I mean, hey, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, definitely, man, definitely. <laughs> that would be a first for me. Nobody's ever thanked me after a fight before. So, you know, maybe Big Sky <laughs> changes the game for you and, uh, you know, Cheeto Vera just becomes another cloud that you just get out of that Big Sky. <laughs> Huge big sky guy over here. I like it. <laughs>
<laughs> so with Cheeto, um, have you noticed any sort of holes in his game? He's, he's a very diverse fighter. He's, he's good everywhere, and he's good really with both hands. Uh, very tough ask to defeat. I don't think he's really, and I hate to say this, and I wouldn't say this to Cheeto because he'd be furious with me, but I don't see him having like one great strength. He's just very, very well-rounded and good at everything. Yeah, um, he's you know, obviously well-rounded. He's aggressive. Uh, I think he's a fighter that, that thrives all in, in the chaos. Um, great elbows, great length, um, you know, great kicks. Um, if I would say the overall, he's a great fighter. Um, say I, I'm kind of, I would say maybe give him more of a grappling advantage on paper. Um, I think he's going to be surprised when he feels me on the ground. Uh, but, yeah, I think overall, um, just a solid fight. Um, I got to go out there and, and basically not give him any, any room to, to capitalize on anything. You just, and just keep it basic, keep it simple. And, and, and um, I do believe uh, – you know, he shows up a lot, and I think I'm going to take advantage of that. And that's kind of your game. I mean, you know, people talk about control when it comes to MMA, and they think about the clinch and getting guys up against the cage. Your control is more just range, controlling the range, controlling the distance, and making sure that yep. they play your game. That's yep. what you think it'll take to beat Cheeto Vera? 100%. You know, I think um, if I could, obviously, once I'm out there being super disciplined and just keeping it to the game plan, keeping it at bay, I think he's going to get frustrated, he's going to throw something big, and I'm going to capitalize it, or, or, or he's going to shoot a sloppy shot, and I'm, I'm going to capitalize off that as well. Um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's tough, though. You know, you saw what he did last, last fight. You know, um, I always say, like, Cheeto finds ways to win, which is, which is huge. It's hard at this level to just down, be down two rounds or a round and a half like he was with Frankie and then still come back towards the end and, and get a finish. And, and uh, you know, especially against a guy like Frankie. So, uh, you know, he, he's riding high off that W. I know uh, his, his momentum and his motivation is up right now. And um, I'm just not going to be that guy to, you know what I'm saying, for him to capitalize. I'm, not, I'm just not going to be that guy. Some of the other interviews that you've done, I've heard you talk about how this fight doesn't really do much for you. And I think that with the bantamweight division right now, it's just so crowded. Even if you look over at the Bellator side, they had that tournament this past weekend. Like, the level is just so high in this division. You ever think of yeah. moving up to 145 just so that you have, you have a little bit less crowded of a division? Not that 45 isn't crowded either. <laughs> You've got Calvin. I'm sure he can attest to that. Yeah. But, I mean, the bantamweight yeah, division nah. is such a shark tank uh, right now. Yeah, I don't want I, I, I spot Calvin K on the record. I'm not sure if I want to go move up to 45 just yet. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, obviously, there's, there's options. You know, um, the, the, the division's kind of awkward. You know, it's all over the place. I'm, I'm glad that obviously the, the, the title fight finally happened and, uh, and all that. But, yeah, I, you know, a, a win over Cheeto is obviously um, experience, exposure, uh, a paycheck and all that. But uh, it doesn't really move me too much as far as getting close to that belt. Um, keeps my name out there. Keeps me there. And I, I believe, uh, you know, um, it's a good opportunity and a great fight for me to, um, especially coming off the loss. But um, as far as title shots, it doesn't do much. But I'm not even thinking that right now. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to get back in the win color, get back in um, on, on, on a win streak, and, and, and then we'll talk from there. So what are you thinking then? If 2022 is ending today, what would you have hoped to accomplish this year? I, I just want to get another finish. It's been a while since I got a finish. You know, I want another finish. And, uh, you know, going back-to-back decisions and five rounds is – it's hard, man. So I, yeah, I want to get in there and get out and um, get back to the drum board. Right. Well, you'll have five rounds to get that finish this Saturday. It's the main event yourself against Cheeto Vera. Nice to see you in another main event. It's always a pleasure speaking yes, with you. Best of luck. Thank you so much, bro. He's one of the realest guys in the UFC. He's Cheeto Vera, one of the best analysts in the game for uh, UFC Espanol as well. So I'll give you a lot of credit off the bat. But I'm curious. This is your first ever UFC main event, first ever five-round fight uh, in the UFC. But is it your first five-round fight ever? It's my action and my second one. I fought for the bell in Mexico back in the day. Um, you know, that didn't win five rounds, but it was a scale for five. 
So what's the big difference in your preparation? It's five rounds, biggest stage, UFC, trying to move up the rankings. What, what's the difference for you going into this fight versus previous ones? Well, you just add two more rounds to the sparring sessions and then you're set, you're ready to go. <laughs> That's all it is? That's the only minor adjustment? Actually, it is, you know, and then, you know, you got to remain focused, you know, you got to know there's two extra rounds and you got to be, you know, able to handle that. And I feel good. I'm, I'm, I'm in great spirits and I think um, I did everything I can do to win this fight. So I'm feeling great. Well, the five rounds, I don't think will be an issue. We've never heard people talk about cardio problems when it comes to Cheeto Vera. It seems like you're able to go 10 rounds if need be. Uh, what do you do to prepare yourself for, for these long rounds and for long fights that, uh, that keeps you having a, a good gas tank throughout? I do long distance running the whole year. So, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that every Sunday runs 13, 14 miles. And then that's just on top of all my training. And I like to be active. Uh, I do train every day, twice a day. So it's like sometimes I see guys training so hard and then they go to a fight and then get tired. So I'm like, I'm wondering either they have a shitty training or they just mentally weak. And I think I'm pretty good in both of those. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely shows. You're a recognizable guy now. Like I said, you're doing broadcasting and you're also in a main event. When you're doing your long distance running, never anybody ever stop you and say, hey, it's Cheeto Vera. Yeah, they do sometimes, but I also say, like, hey, I can't stop. If I stop now, I stop in the fight. And I just I just tell them, like, you can follow me or or we can catch up later. You're a very disciplined guy. I've heard you talk in interviews about how you don't like to go out and party, especially when you're in camp. You don't do a lot of things that are outside of your uh, your daily routine. Is, is that the best way to put it? You're just very scheduled in, in your approach? Yeah, like I just don't, I don't, I don't waste time, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't spend my time in nothing that is not either winning fights or just trying to become the best. And you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a robot. So sometimes I do have fun, but you know, you you can pick and choose the battle. So you know, I have fun when when I'm done with a fight. So in the next two fights, if there's any way I can have fun and you know, drink an extra drink, I do it. But Besides that, I'm, I'm, I'm a full-time athlete, and I don't have time to fuck around. Well, you also say that you're a hippie. What, what do you do that's conducive to a hippie's lifestyle? I just chill. I'm barefoot all the time. I surf every day. Uh, you know, I keep myself in the ground. I enjoy nature, and, you know, I'm not too worried about the external world. You know, I just, I'm just chilling. Do you listen to a lot of music or anything like that to escape? Um, I listen to music, yes, but when I do my long distance running, I, I go without music. I just want to listen to my thoughts. I want to listen to my breathing. And I like to have conversations with myself, see how I can get better, see what I can do. And then when I'm not running, I'm in the water. And, you know, so I'm always doing something that keep me, keep in shape, keep my body healthy. And, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not too worried about all these hype or all these clouds that people want to want to be part of right now i'm like i just think super sur- superficial stuff is not going to make you happy ever so i just try to make sure i have a good life with my friends enjoy my family and you know just have some fun my wife gives me a hard time about this i go for a walk or run by the lake and i'm always listening to music or a podcast she said you, you should just listen to nature uh, so does she have a point is that something i should do more often what are the benefits of doing that well, you, you know, you just get a little more connected, you know, you, you start like 
you have a, a good conversation with yourself. You can you can see what's good. You can you can see what's bothering you. Like if you're always listening to something else, you you probably get never to listen to yourself. So you know you gotta give love to yourself. And there's no such thing that you know nature, you know walking barefoot. All those things are good for you. So you know I just I you know I just do it over time and it feels good. You seem to really identify with being a fighter, with the idea of, you know, having a fight the proper way. I know you've talked in the past about how a lot of fighters, if they get into something and they don't want to be there, you can almost tell, you can have a sense for that. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. That's just that's just the mental side. You can you can feel the fighter energy. You can feel the the fighter when they want to give up but you can also feel when they're when they say fuck you and they're willing to die so you gotta find a way to break them down and you know when you're in front of somebody there's a lot of things going on but only you and that person can really read that and and be like, and, and see what's what, what's coming and what's not do you think that that's intrinsic what i mean by that is that is that ingrained in a human being that when they enter this kind of a situation because it's fight or flight that's you're in the the primary uh state of your evolution where you're, where you're trying to survive do you think that it's just ingrained in some people that they want to be in there and they want to be surviving and other people uh, just no matter what they do they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to do what you're able to do you know everybody everybody got a different a different soul everybody got a different personality and and you know everybody came from from different places so like you know 10 20 generations before me like were they warriors were they like just people that just harvest like you know who knows right maybe i was i come from the vikings well it's very possible uh, given your your track record in the ufc who would you say is the toughest person you've ever encountered in the UFC, where you were throwing everything at them and they just weren't going away? I think uh, Brad Pickett was one of the toughest guys out there, and I fought him, you know, at the end of his career, and he was still pretty strong. So that means five, six years earlier, he was probably very, very strong. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that guy's a legend, uh, Brad Pickett. Uh, and, and you look at this division, you break down all these fights, and you are you've told told different interviewers you're very very familiar with the entire division is there anybody right now at bantamweight that maybe we haven't heard of that's kind of at the lower level that you think is going to make some noise in your division um i think there's a lot of those guys out there you know but i i think anybody that is in the top 15 right now is a trade everybody at that level just they just know how to fight and the the, the, the game is evolving consistently it's getting better and you know, every, every year you find new fighters, better fighters. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look up, but you also gotta make sure you know who's coming because sometimes you act like you don't know them and you and your, you get your ass kicked. So might as well give in, give, give a little look to everybody out there. Bellator has their uh, bantamweight Grand Prix right now, and you look up and down, and there are so many guys that had some sort of connection to the UFC. You know, Ralph Yon's thoughts was on Dana White looking for a fight. You had, uh, I think Enrique Barzola was in your season of tough, but was on tough. You had a lot of other fighters that had competed on tough or on the contender series. It's amazing how much, how much more stacked the bantamweight division in the UFC could have been. I already think it's probably the most stacked division. What makes 135 pounds such a stacked weight class? Is that because, you know, a lot of people walk around, the average size person is probably around 155, 160 pounds that could cut down to 35. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of good banter out there, and you know, I just feel like 
it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a good time to be a bantam when concerning the UFC. So whoever make it to that belt, you know, is gonna consider legit, you know, because some divisions are kind of like, you know, you got two two net fights and then you fight for the belt, but bantam is pretty pretty stuck right now. And it's hard to make any ground. You know, I've heard Rob Font talk about because he's coming off a loss. He says that this fight with you, while it's a great fight, he says it doesn't really do much for him either way. He says that, you know, it's really hard to get back into that top three of the bantamweight division. Now, you're, you're working your way up the ladder. He's ranked ahead of you, so it's quite clear what this fight does for you. But how far away do you think you are from a, a title shot in this division? I just put it like that. You know, it's as simple as getting a great win on Saturday night, and then, then we can talk about it. You fought three times in 2020, I believe it was. Are you hoping to fight three times again this year? Your first fight was in May of 2020, and you were able to get three in. Are you looking to do that same thing in 2022? Hopefully. I like to fight. I like to make some money. So I want to go through this one first, and then, and, then, and, and then we can figure that out. But the more active, the better for me. If you do get a win, the amount of fighters that are ranked ahead of you, are, there's not that many of them. So would you be willing to take a fight against somebody ranked below you to stay busy? It all depends, you know. It all depends where, where I am and 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 what's what's offered to me. So, I like to take one step at a time and see what's going on. But I would love to fight somebody. They get me close to the belt. It doesn't seem like a lot of people have wanted to fight you over the years. You've mentioned all the different people that have been offered to you, and I think you even told Sean Shelby once. I think you told this to Theo Vaughn. You told Sean Shelby, call them first. If they say yes, then call me. Yeah, it happened before, and sometimes, you know, it's annoying. They call you, you say yes, and then you're expecting a contract, and then it's like, oh, the guy didn't took it. So it's like, yeah, fuck off, don't call me. I, I'm i tired with it. And it's not the UFC fault. It's, it's this, this, these clowns, they they want to hold position. They want to, they wanna, you know, you can hold ground like that. You The only way to hold ground is fighting. So that's what you sign up for. So come come and get it. Does that mess with your mental energy, thinking that you might have an opponent in the future, you have that face in your mind, and then suddenly the rug's kind of pulled out from under you? Not really. I don't really care. You, if, if, if that affects your mind, that means you're, you're pretty weak. So I really, you know, if somebody say no, I will get upset, but I'm not going to think about it for, for more, more than the moment. I'm just like, fuck it. You don't want it? You don't want it. But then they'll be acting tough later. That's why off the top I called you one of the realest guys in the UFC. I think I said the realest guy in the UFC, and if I didn't, that's what I get from speaking with you. That's the vibe I get. Well, thank you for this, Cheeto. Always appreciate your time. Main event this weekend against Rob Font, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Happy to be joined by the all-time leader in submissions in the middleweight division, Gerald Mearshart. You're, you're slowly creeping up that list. A win over the weekend, is, that puts you top five all-time among all weight classes. Yeah, I think I actually might be right now. I thought I thought I saw somewhere I was like tied for fourth or fifth with Frank Mir. Tied so. for fifth. You're tied, tied for fifth, for... so you'll get into the. You'll be tied with Nate uh, Nate Diaz for fifth if you, or I guess for fourth technically if you get a win this weekend. So that'll be like a defined top five. Yeah, that'd be that's cool. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Do you think you'll ever beat Charles Oliveira's record? Man, I don't know because uh, I. I'd seen that somewhere and then I looked it up and it was like second oh second all time was Maya and he's got eleven and I was like, Okay, three more, that's that's achievable, right? Um and then I saw Oliveira and he's got fifteen and you know, he's on top of his game right now and still going strong. So I was like, uh ah, that that would might take some time because we're about the same age and he's you know, 
he doesn't seem like he's slowing down anytime soon. So I'd have to really put together a, a pretty good uh, submission streak there to catch up. But, you know, never say never. If he gets one more, he'll be the, the submission leader in two different divisions. That is amazing and not really surprising. <laughs> Do you enjoy watching his fights? Like, given how, like, you love to attack submissions and that's his game. Like, do you, do you get extra joy in watching him compete? Uh, I don't know about extra joy, but I definitely love watching him compete. Uh, you know, he's he's evolved a lot, too, and he's another guy where everyone knows him as a submission guy. But kind of like me, in a sense, you've seen him, you know, a lot of it, his stand-up shows in a lot of his fights against high-level guys. And everyone's like, oh, the submissions, the submissions. Like, yes, obviously, he's got the record for a reason. He's got very good submissions. But his stand-up is kind of what helps get him there. You know what I mean? He's not just taking you down and trying to submit you. He's going to beat you up everywhere first and then take it when it's most advantageous to him. You did an interview with James Lynch where you talked about Hamzat versus Burns and you explained exactly how that fight would happen and it happened to a T. So kudos <sighs> to you. How did you know that that's how that fight was going to play out? Uh, well, I mean, no, no one ever really knows what's going to happen, right? But... Uh, like I said in the interview, you know, Gilbert Burns isn't going to go down for anybody. And he's such a high-level grappler, and he's not, like, the easiest guy to take down either. So, you know, even if Hamzat got the takedown, he would still have the threat of submissions. And he wouldn't be in the best position to, like, attack anyway. And, like, you would probably, like I said, he'd probably just hold submission, land a few strikes, or just let him up. And, again, Burns on the feet is no slouch either. You know what I mean? He's, you know... He's always getting better, and he's got good power. So as much as Hamzat was hitting him, you got to respect those bombs coming back at you. And I knew, you know, both guys are tougher than nails. They're not going to quit. So I, I didn't really see anything other than a decision win for either man. And, I, you know, like I said, I gave a little bit of edge to Hamzat. You know, he's a young, hungry fighter on the rise. Uh, he had a little bit of length, and I knew that he had the, you know, if there was going to be offensive takedowns, he would most likely – get more of them and like kind of add points up. But I figured it'd be kind of close like that. And it, you know, that's how it shook out. People are talking about him now. Like he's, you know, a, a human being again, because he actually was in a fight that went three rounds. You kind of got to see what this guy had to offer uh, over that duration. Were you more impressed after that fight with him than you were beforehand? Obviously you've been in there with him, but do you feel like the hype machine should be in, in overdrive right now, rather than people kind of dialing it back? Absolutely, yeah. I, if, if anything, I was more impressed. You got to see more wrinkles of his game. You got to see how he handles adversity. Um, you know, you even got to see him tactically, I wouldn't say make mistakes, but there's some choices he can make. His coaches were calling like, hey, just don't brawl. Like, you know, you could win using your length and stuff, but he, you know, like I said, young, hungry fighter. He wants to go out there and put on a show. He chose to stay in there and bang with a dangerous guy. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of railed it back and was a little smarter in that third round. So it was, you know, good to see those things, um, see him use the takedowns and then just kind of be smart and not engage Burns too much on the mat, kind of recognizing the disparity there. Like, you know, just feeling something like, hey, it's easier for me in this area. I'll stick to that. So, I, you know, if anything, I think people should be just as high on him. You know what I mean? If you want to play the MMA math game, you could say, oh, well, you know, Usman did a lot better job. It's like, yeah, but Usman also trained with Burns and he's a different fighter. And I think that Hamzat, you know, maybe would have, you know, different approach 
to fighting Usman, obviously. And like I said, MMA math doesn't work. The matchup would be different. I don't know that, you know, how that would go or that it means anything. But, uh, but yeah, I don't see why the hype train should slow down. This weekend, you're facing Christoph Jotko. This is a matchup that I don't love from the standpoint that this is a guy who is one of the most risk-averse fighters in the UFC. And it's not that it's a bad matchup for you, but I imagine that both of you guys are a frustrating matchup for the other. Uh, he, you're going to be a guy that's going to be pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, whereas he's going to try to get out of that red zone, and you're going to be trying to get into it. Is that how you look at this matchup, as you're going to have to somehow get him to, to slip? Uh, I wouldn't say get him to slip, but that's a pretty good analysis because, yeah, you're right. He is kind of risk-averse, but uh, he ain't going to be able to averse any risk, so to speak, when he fights me. You know what I mean? I'm I'm planning on being in his face the whole time, and, you know, whether he likes it or not, it's really a, a game of stubbornness, right? And, um, you know, it's on me as the aggressor to be more stubborn. All he – you know, he has to keep moving away and ultimately – let me not pursue. Whereas if I decide to not stop pursuing, I win. You know what I mean? Outside of getting caught with something crazy, if I want to be the aggressor and I just don't stop being the aggressor, that's going to favor me. He has to bank on me not being aggressive because if he actively fights back to try to get me not to be aggressive, that means he's stepping into my realm. So in that way, I think it favors me. Now, he, in, in not-so-friendly terms, basically said that you're a grappling-heavy fighter and that uh, you, like to, uh, you, know, you like to wrestle your opponents and, and whatnot. But when you look at finishes, his last UFC finish was before your UFC debut. Yeah, yeah. To clarify, I thought that he called me a dick licker. He actually said dick sniffer. So I apologize. Uh, I misheard. Um, you know, still kind of a very unflattering thing to call someone. And to your point, it's kind of weird that he would say that about me because A, I have more finishes than he does, and B, we have the same amount of knockouts in the UFC. So I don't know how that makes me a boring blanket fighter. But hey, if that's what he thinks, that's great. You also, I think in your last four fights, if you break it down, have the same amount of takedowns. Oh, brother, yeah, I didn't even know. But that's one thing I do give him credit on. Uh, he does mix in the takedowns very well because, like I said, on the surface, you would say he's a he's a striker that uses range and an out movement a lot. But he does do a very good job of mixing in. He's got a, a pretty good double leg, like a low double shot. And he'll time that pretty well. And he'll he'll use it really smart to kind of cook clock, score some points and then like keep a guy modest enough to be like, you know, let him know that there's still a threat of takedowns to kind of keep them from. I would think moving in so recklessly. I imagine he's probably not going to be threatening too many takedowns against you on Saturday. Would you agree? Uh, actually, I think he'll probably try to mix some in, to be completely honest with you. It's going to be hard when I'm in his face the whole time, but it wouldn't surprise me if he shot to take, because that happens a lot of time, right? You think, oh, that guy's going to not try to take me down at all. And then all of a sudden you get in there and it's like, oh, now he wants to take me down and hold me a little bit to kind of shut down my game to make me hesitant. So honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. Is it? ATT guy, I expect him to actually probably shoot a few takedowns and be really heavy on the calf kicks and, like, uh, kicking my lead leg a lot. What did you take away from the Stolzfus fight? It was a war of attrition for you. You were able to, to pull one out at the end. Um, what did you take away from that fight? Uh, poor preparation on my part as far as recovery. That was one fight where, I, you know, I trained – I train hard. I always train hard. Uh, I was in shape in that sense, but I was just not 
getting the the recovery during sleep that I needed. So the the UFC, we got these aura rings through them, track all our biometrics, and you know, kind of I wear it at night when I sleep to track my recovery. And uh, the numbers just weren't there. I was just not getting enough quality sleep to be able to recover to perform at my best. And, you know, I could sit here and speculate about a hundred different things and what it was, but you know, it just wasn't working this time completely different. I've been sleeping great during camp. I'm sleeping great here. You know, my numbers are way up there really good. You know, my resting heart rate is in uh, like the mid to high thirties. My HRV is great. So that, that all is going to be good. But if, you know, anything I can take away from that is I know even if I'm sucking wind and I feel like it's a bad day, uh, I can still suck it up and go out there and do what I got to do. You have the ability to change lives with uh, lives rather with this answer. How does one get quality sleep? <laughs> Man, if, if I had the answer to that, trust me, I, I'd write a whole book on it and I'd make a bunch of money selling a program or something. But uh, I don't know. But I I don't know if it was like stress or what. Uh, I know there's definitely things that help, right? Like you know, you take a good amount of time to like wind down before bed and. You know, you make sure you don't eat too close to when you're trying to go to sleep and like, you know, don't have caffeine or alcohol and all this shit. But, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, I, I think for me at this point, personally, it was more about like taking the appropriate time to rest, not going too hard to be like, oh, I want my weight at a certain point or I want, you know, I want to get these certain hard days in. But just like kind of listen to your body a little bit more is what seemed to help me. It was a big weekend for Rufus Sport. Raphael Stocks looked phenomenal in this fight. He's the new interim bantamweight champion. All the bantamweight belts are at Rufus Board right now. And what did you think of that performance against Juan Archuleta? Just a, a great showing, and this tournament is uh, really looking great so far for Bellator. Oh, yeah. man, I'm so happy for Raph, man. I, he looked absolutely amazing. Um, you know, pro maybe down one or two in the first, round, first couple rounds, but it's one of those things, like, even watching the fight, and I even heard him talk about it after, it's like, I guess points-wise, you would say he lost, but it's not like he was losing. He was just kind of reading what Juan was doing. He was like, oh, okay, you're shooting on me. You're exerting a lot of energy. You're holding me. Juan wasn't really trying to, like, win or inflict any damage so much as he was trying to throw Rafian off his game and land a takedown. And Rafa just kind of looked patient, like, all right, this is what you're going to do. Kind of get your read on you, see what you're doing. He was still throwing his shots, being smart, defending takedowns, not wasting his energy. And, you know, he knows it's a five-round fight, and then – he made that read. He saw Juan kept dipping his head in, down rather when he came in and let that, you know, he, not the first uh, left leg high kick knockout that Rob has. And, you know, Rufus Sport, that's what we're known for, is throwing those kicks. And he let that sucker go at just the right time and gave him his first knockout loss. It was amazing. Now, with Sergio getting injured, has that helped Jim Morale? Because I'm sure that everybody was kind of walking on eggshells thinking that that was going to be the first matchup of the tournament. I don't know why they matched it up that way. It's almost like they're trying to create a rift in the gym. But uh, how has that affected the morale in the gym? It's bittersweet, man, because on one hand, on one hand, we're, you know, even Serge and Rafa, everybody was glad that they didn't have to fight. Uh, you know, as far as being scheduled in the first round, I, we were all kind of confused because it's like, those are probably objectively the two best guys in the tournament, right? So if you seeded it like a tournament bracket should be, they'd be on the opposite ends. But from the perspective of like, who deserves a crack at the title first, Roth definitely deserved it first. You know, we all would have rather had them meet at the, the finals if they had to, but uh, you know, better or worse, Serge got hurt. Um, again, all glad that they didn't have to fight, you know, right away, right? But it, 
it does suck for Serge that he misses his chance at a million. You know what I mean? That that kind of sucks. Uh, that being said, you know, he's doing really well for himself. Bellator's taking care of him. So, you know, bittersweet moment. But, you know, at least now when they fight, I'm all the confidence in the world. Ross going to run through this tournament. He's going to keep that belt. And then, you know, they can decide the championship fight and go from there. And no matter what happens, there's going to be plenty of matchups for either guy, you know, both to defend the title and to work their way back. I should probably know this, but is Jocko ranked? Are you going to enter the rankings with a win on Saturday? I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. I I have not been in the rankings ever. Uh, I don't know if he's ranked. I don't know if that makes a difference. Uh, I just know that so far, every fight at the apex, I've been on the B side. So it's, you know, I'm always the underdog. I'm always on the blue corner. I don't really expect much anymore. I just know I got to go out there and fight and win. I'm always eyeing that submission prop, and it's been, uh, it's been good to uh, the TSN Edge supporters because that's uh, always my go-to is the, uh, the Mearshart by submission prop. But uh, I know you're looking for the KO. That's, that's, that's been on your mind, so I'm a little bit hesitant. Should I be hesitant about that one? You know, man, every time I say I like, well, and I, everybody always wants a knockout, right? And like, especially the last few, I'm like, oh, man, I'm really going to work my stand-up. And even in, uh, you know, maybe not so much the last fight, but the fight before I did work my stand up a lot and I'm trying to knock these guys out, but they shoot. I see an opportunity, something happens. I end up getting their neck. So, you know what I mean? I I'm saying I'm going to knock them out, but statistically speaking, that probably just means I'm going to rock them on the feet and choke them. So <laughs> do with that information, what you will. Well, your best asset, of course, uh, are your chokes. I know that you helped Bilal Muhammad for his fight against Vicente Luque. I, I, I asked him in particular, do you just tell Gerald, just grab your neck in as many ways as possible and, and see if you can get fight out of it? Because obviously that Darce choke from Luque is, uh, is one of the biggest threats in his division. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, more or less, it's kind of what we did. I gave him a lot of pointers as to how to, like, defend it specifically. And, like, I watched Luque as far as what he likes to do, um, where he likes to find the cinch. And I just, you know, uh, it... It's probably not as detailed as people think it would be because a lot of the like as a lot of these defending submissions and just the way Bilal fights, I'm like, look, don't worry about the the exact X's and O's. It's like if you get to this spot and can do this movement, you're fine. If he goes this way, do this movement, you're fine, and then slowly work out. But yeah, a lot of a lot of me just putting my arms around Bilal's neck and trying to trying to squeeze the life out of him and like, you know, kind of directing him which way to go to not let that happen. All right, Gerald, always a pleasure catching up with you. Best of luck on Saturday against Christoph Jotko, and we'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate it, Aaron. Good seeing you. Happy to be joined by Tristan Connolly, who's back in action after a second surgery. So the surgery that Aljamain Sterling had, you had that for a second time. Do I have that right? Yeah, uh, that's correct. I have that in my second disc replacement surgery in my neck. If I don't know if you can see, try and get in close to the camera here. Oh, and uh, there's two scars on my neck. So they go in through the front, they carve out the disc, they take a new one and they hammer it down through the throat and get to go. And so I've had that two times. Uh, super happy with the results. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to give a big shout out to my surgeon, Dr. Sun. He absolutely, uh, he hooked me up big time. Got the surgeries done quick. Uh, you know, they weren't, uh, there's a lot of damage and he did a really good job. So you're like the bionic man. You've got two titanium plates in your neck. Yeah, yeah. And I think I might be, as far as I know, the first major athlete in like a contact sport that has two of these. Like there's a few others with one. Like I know Jack Eichel's the first guy in the NHL to have one. It was a big deal. 
Um, and I don't know about the NFL. I've heard there are some in the NFL, but I don't think there's any two levels. So I'm kind of, uh, you know, setting the precedent in sport, maybe, you know, maybe not what I wanted, the way I wanted to do it, but, you know, I'll take it. Well, this weekend, you've got a great matchup against Darren Elkins. You know, they don't put out odds for who's going to be fight of the night. And if they did, I'd be putting money on your fight. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, I think that it's a great matchup. Like, stylistically, um, neither of us are going to slow down. We're going to both be in each other's faces. It's just going to be who can implement their, their game plan the best. I mean, Darren's got a pretty cut-and-dry uh, strategy every single fight, and he... He'll he'll do it till it works or or the fight ends. Like he just he's 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 a dog on a bone, and uh, if you're not ready to do that, to deal with that, you're gonna be in trouble. So uh, I think I have the answers, and uh, on Saturday night I'm gonna execute. You're one of the better game planners that I've spoken to in MMA. You know, right before you fought Michelle Pe- uh, Peheja, we had just met basically, and you walked me through exactly how you were gonna beat this guy, and you were able to do that to a T against a guy like Darren Elkins. Do you feel like a lot of people when they fight him? stray from their game plan because they see an opening that is a phantom opening, so to speak. A hundred percent. We talked about uh, in several interviews uh, in all camp. It's like the, the game plan is not to try and finish this guy with anything. If a finish comes, it comes. But almost every time he wins, it's because the other person thinks he's hurt and they empty the tank and he comes right back. And he, you know, like I say, he's a dog on a bone. Uh, you cannot get him off once he once he gets on you and you've got a little bit of uh, you know your heart rate's up and you're tired and you squeezed real hard in his neck or like unloaded with all your punches. The deal with Darren is just to meet his pace and just be consistent and just chip away. If if he gets hurt or cut and I sure he will, don't rush in. Just keep the same thing going. Keep the same thing going. Don't allow him to recover because. When you blow your wad, he'll take it, and then he re- you get slow down, he recovers, and that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be with Baron Elkins, and I do not want to be there. Absolutely, and your last fight was against Pat Sabatini. We watched him compete against TJ Laramie recently. How good is this guy? I mean, he just seems like he's a guy that you can't find, as much as you would game plan for a guy like that, he does not have a whole lot of weaknesses. No, man, he's smooth. Uh, Pat's really smooth, and I... You know, we always, fighters were always you know, looking back at our losses and going like, well, I could have done this, could have done that, or, you know, and, and that's why we grow and we learn. We take those up things and we, you know, it's like there's certain things that maybe, you're like, well, I knew how to do that, but I didn't do it. So maybe I need to drill that more because uh, when push comes to shove, what you do when you're tired and in the cage is all that matters. So, you know, I learned a lot from that about uh, how I needed to train, what, uh, what, what I needed to get rid of, uh, especially for wrestlers. Um, I think uh, I would do a lot better right now, but to tell you the truth, Pat, I think, has looked phenomenal in his last three fights as well, right? Like, he's he's shown that he is a real contender, and he's going to be a real problem for a lot of these guys. Does that make you feel better about a loss? Like, if you go and you see a guy that is able to continue that momentum after he faces you and, and continues to grow and get better, and again, like you said, I think he's going to push towards that top 15 very soon if, if he's not there already. Yeah. I think he's probably on the cusp. Probably, probably next fight might be someone top 15 or next one right after. Yeah, so he, does that uh, make you feel better? Yeah, I mean, it's the best thing that could happen in my opinion, you know? I mean, at least I, I still feel like I have done the best against him. I think I'm the only one that won a round against him. He's won every other round that he's fought in, I think. Well, well uh, yeah, because he... Uh, when he the heel hook, he that was in the first round, right? So he's won every round except for round three against me. 
Yeah, it seemed like he was starting to tire out, and we, we've seen how good your gas tank is. How valuable yeah. is that going to be against Darren Elkins, a guy who seamlessly has an endless gas tank of his own? Yeah, exactly. Huge. So, uh, like, I think that neither of us will get tired unless uh, one, I mean, anyone can get tired if they empty the tank, right? Like, we all can empty the tank. doesn't matter how good your cardio is. I, but I don't think me and Darren, either of us will. We'll just, it's going to be a really uh, intense uh, intense fight because we're both going to be right there and not a lot, not going to be a lot of steps backwards. Um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, playing in the pocket, shutting down, me trying to shut down his, his wrestling, implement my own wrestling. Uh, yeah, we're both going to be probably really active on the wall. I don't think we're, we're not the type of guys that just stay and hug each other. No, we're, he's going to be going to get his takedown. I'm going to be going to spin him around. I'm going to be going to shoot on him. I'm going to be going to snap his head down. It's going to, I'm going to be lots of, I'm looking through lots of, Lots of elbows and knees from the clinch. So uh, it's, it, you know, the, both our cardio is going to make this fight awesome. When you're rehabbing a uh, surgery like the one you had, how big do you get? Because I, I saw TJ Laramie when he was cornering his brother Tony back in December and he was rehabbing surgery. I asked him how big he got. He looked huge. He said he, could, you know, he was pushing two bills almost. But are you able to stay relatively light even though you're rehabbing? You're not getting as much exercise as normal? Uh, I have this time. It's not easy. Um, I, I do get pretty big pretty quickly. Uh, I need, I've been 200 is not that hard. Uh, if I just kind of even was eating healthy, but as much as I wanted, I would be 200 pounds within about a month, right? After the, the Sabatini fight, I had to go into quarantine. I was 199 when I got out of the quarantine two weeks after the fight, uh, just because there's not like just sitting there eating. Like, so I, I put the weight pretty quick, but it's also a lot of water weight. Like 15 pounds of that will go off in three or four days when I start like uh, calorie restricting and uh, and cleaning up all the what I'm eating. But uh, it, it, I've I've made a point to not because otherwise, honestly, I'd have to fight 55. I, the only way I can stay at 45 is if I maintain uh, a, a clean diet outside of camp all the time. So. Well, after the surgery, I would do a lot of fasting, a lot of uh, small meals, just like trying to keep my weight under 180 because it's like it gets to one. It'll be I'll be 180 the day after the fight if I have like big meal, you know. Well, so you, so you push it that much when you're yeah. in camp, like right now, for example, at the start of fight week, like what's the ideal weight for you and and. What would be a number on the scale that you'd look at and be like, that's not good? Because cutting that's to 45, good. a lot of people cut yeah. down probably 15 pounds. Oh, yeah. Oh, much more for me. <laughs> I, if I can walk in at uh, 160, that's, that's, that's really good um, to, fight, to fight week Monday. Uh, I was actually a little heavier than that this week, but then I had, with the water loading, I had two really good drops over the last two days, which, you know, the really now, now I'm in a really good place. But, um, you know, most of the camp, I'm about 165 to 167, uh, which is actually probably lighter than I'll be in the fight because I'm, I'm having very strategic carbohydrates all camp. So I'm never really loading my glycogen stores up. I'm staying at kind of like I'm not having none, but I'm staying at a low level. When I reload for the fight, it's like an extra six pounds, seven pounds. I was 175 when I fought Pat. I don't think I'll be that big this time. I've tried to be a little, uh, uh, making it a little easier on myself, but I'll probably be 172, 173 come fight night. Because you put on almost 30 pounds in 24 hours? Yeah. And what's that from doing? So that's just from eating regularly? Eating, uh, like carb loading. You know, I mean, you're carb loading, having uh, a good amount of, like, good amount of salt and carbs, and varieties of carbs too. You're not going crazy on the fat. 
Um, and I honestly am really good at cutting weight. Uh, I, I, I follow my protocols hard and I'm able to drop, uh, quite a bit of weight comfortably. Um, I, I really, I've done this enough times and I, and I've experimented and I really talk to all the nutritionists here at the PI and, uh, and shore up everything I was doing. And I've always apparently been doing things quite well. They said there's only, and they've helped me with a few things and it's, it's just really, it's not like I can do this in a week. Like I couldn't take a short notice. It's be very hard for me to take like a week's notice at 45 or even two weeks. I'd need at least like three weeks from being in a good weight already to, to do it because it's the way that I manipulate everything or that fighters do. And I really abuse everything to the max. I, I have to be spot on with it all. For me, I feel like weight cutting is something's got to change with it. And it's not that, that it's, you know, something that's going to um, happen overnight, but it's just so, so slanted towards the promotion. And the, the way the I say that is because, uh, you know, you can't do fight day weigh-ins because, like, let's say you guys are fighting at a, yeah. an agreed-upon 175 pounds. A guy weighs two pounds over, the fight's off, right? So, so that's bad yeah. for the promotion, but it's also really bad for the fighters for you to have to cut so much weight before a fight. Like, is there a solution yeah. for this that you, that you or anybody else has thought of that could actually, you know, at least find a middle ground between the fighters and the promotion where they're not going to be canceling fights every week? Yeah, it, it's, it's a tough one, man. Like, uh, it's... The problem is, in a perfect world, we could do same-day weigh-ins, but then people are still going to cut, and then the real risk is worse head trauma for those people, and like that's the road that that goes down. So, you know, I think there probably is a, a very multi-step system. The only way to do it would be like the UFC could do it, Bellator could do it, you know, one FC could do. I mean, what I'm just doing their your their hydration testing, which uh, I think is there's pros and cons to that as well. Um, but I think you, you'd have a very, like, almost like a USADA type approach. That would be the only way that I could think to do it where you're getting, you know, you're not only checking your weight daily, you have random come like live checks on your weight daily and you have to be percentages of weights by certain times. And then after the weight, it's like you weigh in a certain weight and you can be the next day you get weight again, you have to be within a percentage of that weight. Like it would be, have to be hyper-regulated with a lot of big, uh, room to allow wiggle room on the uh, on the fight end of it so the fighter doesn't have to worry about much, but to really limit the cut. I don't think we'll ever – we'll never get rid of the cut entirely. Uh, it's an integral part of the, the sport for one, but um, people's weights really fluctuate. So we have to kind of get to a – definitely get to a bottom as far as uh, – stuff inside of us so like we don't we can't like have fuel in us when we're weighing in we kind of got it there but the dehydration part is the you know that's the part that really needs to end because it's the most dangerous part it's the it's the hardest part like not eating is one thing but dehydrating ourselves 15 pounds that's 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 got to change yeah i think you saw that could play a function in that i mean i know that they're primary role of course is anti-doping they're, that's their role yeah. period is anti-doping but if they're coming and doing random checks on people uh, you know what's the difference if you just get a scale get a bring a digital scale with you they step on that and at least just for for reference it doesn't even need to be yeah. you need to be within a certain weight but uh, you know especially during fight yeah. camp i think if you've got a fight within four weeks and they look at your weight and they're like wow this guy weighs 189 pounds and he's fighting at 45 yeah that they, they can get on the phone with USADA, sorry, with the UFC, yeah. and say, "Listen, this is the situation," and then maybe you can come up with catch weights or some sort of solution where the fighters are going to be, 
more healthy on the night of the fight. I don't know what it is because every time yeah. I brainstorm something and, and fighters brainstorm and anybody says anything to me, there's always a hole in the argument. There's always know. a hole. There's always a hole. There's always a problem. Like I said, yeah. Like I said, it wouldn't have to be USADA. You wouldn't have to have a third party regulate this. This is something that could entirely be regulated by the UFC um or the or whatever promotion in question uh they could be the one doing it because if they did it through usada it'd probably be insanely expensive um because uh, usada doesn't check us that much uh i would think they would need more checks with the that, that weight process during the fight camp like usada's not coming and testing me four times during my fight camp they test me once during fight camp usually and then once right before the fight so it's uh there, it, it, it's. I think some. It will happen eventually, one day. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be because someone else is going to die, uh, and that's going to push for it. But hopefully, something happens before then. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Something's going to happen eventually, but it's probably going to be because someone's hand is forced, not because they're, they're being proactive. Hopefully, I'm wrong about that. But uh, you know, that, that's what Fingers I'm concerned crossed. about. Fingers crossed. Me too. All right, well, best of luck to you this weekend. Darren Elkins, fantastic matchup. I think from a matchup standpoint, this is a can't-miss fight. Looking forward to it on Saturday, and happy to have you back in the Octagon representing Canada. We're on a roll right now. Let's keep that momentum going. Yeah, we are. Man, last week was fucking awesome. So can't wait to do the same thing. Keep the ball rolling. We got two more Canadians on uh, this, this week. So here we go. Thank you, Aaron. Love being on the show. I greatly appreciate the time of all of our guests this week. Juliana Pena. Rob Font, Cheeto Vera, Gerald Mearshart, Tristan Connolly, and I greatly appreciate you, the listener, for tuning in to this show week in and week out. Next week, I will be in Phoenix, so hoping to get an interview edition out somehow, some way from my hotel room in Phoenix, put that together, the interviews that I will be doing on site in Phoenix, as well as an interview with Kayla Harrison, which I'm excited for you to hear as well. Uh, that might come out a little bit earlier in the week. Not sure how that's going to get pulled together because I know the PFL event that she is competing on is next week. So we're going to figure out a way to get that to you. Perhaps we tack it on to the end of the uh, standard edition of the show. We're able to tape that earlier in the week. But uh, thank you for tuning into this edition, the interview edition of the show. And we'll see you next week from Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.